0: Welcome to the Charleston School of Law podcast, episode number three. I'm your host, John Strubel. I need to remind you, I'm not an attorney. I have never attended law school. I do come to this podcast with a healthy dose of curiosity that leads us right, I think, to the intersection of life, and the law and how it impacts us. My hope in this podcast is that we listen well, we laugh some too, and ultimately we learn something new about the legal profession through the voices around the table. And those voices include our faculty, our students, our alumnus, and our leaders in the legal community who are making an impact in their community and in their region. Today's guest is Brett Stevens from Stevens Law LLC in Columbia, South Carolina. Brett, I find it really fascinating that you were able to find a law firm to work at that has the same last name as you. Yes,
1: that is quite amazing.
0: (laughs) Well, welcome to the podcast. It's It's a pleasure to have you on and I look forward to talking with you, especially this week. Thank you. Sure. It is pro bono week, and you have been practicing law for 15 years. Just for our audience's sake, why don't you give me a little bit of background on you and the type of law you practice, and then we'll get into some of the details.
1: I primarily now practice family law, Hmm. um, and I do some appellate practice within that, within the scope of family law. But my background is that when I left Law school. I went to the Supreme Court, worked as a staff attorney, and ultimately um, worked as a staff attorney at the South Carolina Supreme Court for about seven years. Um, and then I worked at Legal Services under a Voca grant, so that's representing victims of um, crime, wow. and that was primarily domestic violence victims in the family court. So that's where I got my initial family court experience. And those were two of my primary jobs before I started my own firm. Of course, I loved my appellate practice, having worked at the Supreme Court for seven years. Um, And then I just primarily, I wanted to be in the family court, and I do a lot of divorce and custody work. I represent um, guardian ad litem and DSS actions. Um, I do some contract work for legal services, um, South Carolina Legal Services, doing name changes. Mm. And, you know, I've done some adoptions. So just a a large scope of
0: family court work. I I want to step back one more step because your work is fascinating to me. You really have an impact in the type of work you do and the type of law you practice. You can help change people's lives and circumstances. So let me step back one more step, Brett, and ask you, why did you pursue a law degree? Well, I'll tell you,
1: there's two reasons. First, um, I wanted to be a lifetime student, um, and I didn't realize until after I Left law school, that I was going to have to pay for law school. Um, And so (laughs) I had to actually get a job after that. I couldn't stay in school. But I actually moved to Columbia. And at the beginning of 2002, I had um, received my master's degree in English from Clemson. And I wanted to get 18 extra hours in women's studies. And they don't have that at Clemson. So I came to Columbia to do that at the University of South Carolina. And while I was working on those hours, I took um, two cross-listed classes with the law school. Um, and so I had Josie Brown um, for a women in law class. Hmm. And I had Nikki Schutt, who is a huge, huge um, civil rights attorney. That's what I like to call her. She does a lot of employment and ERISA work, but she does a lot of civil rights work um, in Columbia. Um, she taught, I had a long name, but it was basically race, gender, and the law. Okay. And I was I was blown away by both classes and Nikki really I mean Josie too, but Nikki really became a mentor to me and she's told me, you know, you really need to consider law school. Then I took um the GRE and the LSAT and I did better on the LSAT (laughs) and I said, Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to law school. So I went to the University of South Carolina. Um, after those experiences.
0: So I guess a, more of a personal question is, you attended Clemson and then you attended USC. So when <laughs> they go head to head in football, where are your allegiances?
1: So I grew up in Easley, which is about 20 minutes outside of Clemson and my blood runs orange, completely orange. <laughs> my whole family attended Clemson and um, yeah, just it, it's, it's a hard time to be a Clemson fan Right now, I can't really what's going on with our football program <laughs> right now. But uh, <laughs> yes, when they go head to head, I am definitely a Clemson fan. But I will say I do pull for Carolina when they're
0: not playing Clemson. Okay. So I do like our state schools. So it is pro bono week. We are winding that down, actually, as we're recording this podcast. But through your work and what you described as your professional work and what you've been doing over the past, you know, more than a decade, there's a lot of pro bono opportunities there and background. And so when we talk about your resume and we look at that, what is your definition of pro bono?
1: I think pro bono is giving back. We have to really look at the blessings that we have when we leave law school, that fortunate enough that we're in a profession where, and we have a lot of flexibility with our degree. Um, I think there are lawyers in all types of fields, not just the law and and so I think that we I think that pro bono is saying, "Look, we have a community to care for. We're in an impoverished state. We are in a state where there, especially in the family court, there are just so many needs, so many people that really cannot afford to have legal representation. and And I like to include sliding scale with pro bono. I mean, I know true pro bono is not being paid, but I think sliding scale is becoming a, a pro bono model in the sense that you're not making very much money to do what you do, and sometimes people find that it's better for um, people to have a some kind of skin in the game, at, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, but I think that sliding scale is becoming a very popular um, a way of providing um, services as well to the same types of communities that we now pr- provide pro bono services to. Um, So I really just think it's a a giving back to the community um, for the blessings that we have.
0: Family law you do and divorce, custody, all those broken relationships and broken family units that you see. How has that type of work over time really impacted your life and shaped your own personal values?
1: It's interesting. I mean, I think that going into law school, I had a value, a personal value of giving back. Hmm. Um, And I had a personal value of helping people. Um, And I think that sometimes the people that are drawn to these fields may have those values even before going to law school. I think in going to law school, you realize what the need is. I mean, it's it's huge in our state. I I can't, I mean, the last time I've talked to the richland county clerk of court they're giving three days a week on their docket to people who are attempting to represent themselves um nice. and all kinds of family court matters and they're ha- and it's, it's it's a docket that never diminishes because they have so many problems representing themselves so there are tons of continuances there are tons of of issues with the filings um and so, you know, I, I really think that people probably come to the family, are probably attracted to the family court in a custody and adoption and, and divorce um, because they already have a value to help people. I, I really truly believe that. Um, mm. um, I, it, it's, it's really hard work. Um, and I think that the, the hardest part is hanging on to your values when it is such difficult emotional work and that you're doing. But I find that people that are working in the family court for the most part they really are there for the right reason. I mean they really are there to help people they really they really yeah. have uh, a need to make the system better and to make families you know healthier and And I just can't imagine that that developed in law school or after law school. I really think that people are drawn to law school or drawn to the family court and I mean everyone coming out of law school for the most part, I've heard you know is very idealistic about their ability to help people. Um, And so I I just think that value is there for for most people
0: at the beginning. Is it difficult for you to, as you're going through the process and you're dealing with so many difficult situations, to keep that balance in, in perspective?
1: I mean, I think it's extremely difficult. I think it's very difficult work. And I think there are a number of ways that um, you deal with it. Um, I think that, first of all, you cannot be a lifeline to your clients. And you have to sort of establish those boundaries. I mean, your clients are coming to you in the family court cases some of the worst times in their life. Um, You know, unfortunately, and I hope that this will change in our lifetime, the family court is a very litigious place to be. Um, It's not a holistic um, place to be, which is very unfortunate. And so I think, you know, people are coming to you and they're fighting over custody, which is a highly charged issue in the family court. Um, Some people are coming to you with, you know, nothing. I mean, people getting divorced, they had a little to start with. They have nothing (laughs) when they're separating. Um, you know, it's just, it's just that they're losing their homes because they can't afford to keep them. Even if they're just selling them, there's still neither party can afford to keep them. And all of those things are very difficult for people. And some people are very angry. Some people need mental help. Um, you know, they're just, there's anxiety involved. And I, I think that you have to draw some boundaries because you'll drown if you allow yourself to be your client's lifeline. Um, You have to have your own life, your own interests, your own hobbies. Um, Mine, of course, is my eight-year-old son. Hmm spending time with the people I love I read novels I play tennis and I try to balance my life with the things that you know I enjoy in my life because it isn't my life I didn't create the drama that I'm helping people to get through I didn't I'm not the one getting divorced and sometimes you have to remind opposing counsel of that too you know opposing counsel you and I are not getting divorced <laughs> This is, we don't need we don't, we don't need to scream at each other you know this, our, our clients can scream at each other but we are here to Sort of make a logical division of a family, and 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 hopefully a holistic division of a family in a divorce case, or a holistic you know division of people who have children together. Um, and so you know that's that's so much of what we do. I think that you have to look at that, and then for your clients, you have to know when you're not the resource. So you have to say, okay, you need counseling. I mean, I have a client right now um, who is in a situation where she's already divorced but there was a custody modification case filed and it was largely based on COVID because she had to work and she was leaving her children at home to get their homework done and there was so much stress because they weren't doing their schoolwork during the day when they were home with COVID and she had to work to, to, you know, support them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so dad filed a modification case and said, Hey, mom's not doing a good enough job. I can do a better job. I need to be primary custodian of these children And these children have just been mom's life. I mean, they really, I mean, it it killed her just that they couldn't be in school. It killed her that she had to work instead of being at home. And and the judge awarded that on a temporary basis, primary custody. And we haven't gotten to a trial yet, but she has had a lot of emotional ups and downs extreme not just even regular emotional ups and downs most people going through family court cases need counseling mm-hmm. um but you know it's to the point that many times she's gone to counseling and the counselor has said you know you're done and i'm like but you're really not done and and you just really have to find what those resources are and they're not all counseling. I mean, sometimes people need, you know, economic, uh, like financial advisors, um, someone to come in and say, hey, this is the best, this is what is going to happen with your taxes if you do this. Um, You know, all kinds of different people exist out there that can advise your client better than I can or another attorney can um, for their issues. So, I think that you just have to look to those resources. And then the other thing is that you have to have your own professional resources. Um, you know, I have friends that when I am having a meltdown day at work, which happens, I can call and say, I made a mistake and I'm having a meltdown because I don't like to make mistakes because attorneys don't make mistakes. Or I have this case that I don't understand how to resolve. How would you resolve it? Or can you talk me through this? I have it's only a few it's a small handful of people yeah. but I can call them they do family court work they are my friends they're not going to be like you're an idiot they're going to be <laughs> like Brett that's such a good question you know or Brett calm down everybody makes mistakes I have people that taught me through that and then there's also some, you know, there's a Facebook group that's um, Female Lawyers, My Legal BFF. And I find it a great resource just for basic things. Like I need a form for this and I can put it on Facebook and and people, e- you know, email me those forms or, or post them on the Facebook page. And so I think just identifying. And again, people have mentors. If you can find a good mentor, you know, having your own professional resources. So I think those are the things that keep me from being the lifeline for my clients or getting too too involved with my clients' lives to the point that I can't separate their issues from my own.
0: I think it's wonderful, and that's a wonderful message for any current law student who is going to eventually work in these fields to build a network of trusted professionals that you can go to and just really let it all hang out, for lack of a better phrase, and just say, here's what I'm dealing with. I'm having a tough day. You understand this situation. Walk me through it. Give me some advice. Give me some Uh, honest feedback and not have to worry about any repercussions to that. I would imagine you didn't have that trusted circle built when you first started doing this type of work. So that's something that kind of you develop as you have more experience in the field is that an accurate statement?
1: It is. And I think they're doing a better job now. And I didn't graduate when they had the mentor requirement. So I think now you get a mentor when you graduate from law school, I believe, under the rules. Hmm. Um, and I'm sure some people have great mentors and some people don't. <laughs> <laughs> and some people, some people's mentors are great, but they're not going to practice the type of law that, you know, the person's going to practice. And that's difficult because you want to find people that are pra- that are doing what you're doing. Um and and it is it is a development process. Um, and I would I would just encourage people, you know, joining groups like getting on a, a Facebook group um, or getting on a, a county bar, like I'm in the Richland County bar, um, and just getting involved. It's hard when you're when you're a young lawyer, especially if you're a young lawyer with a family. It's really difficult to find the time to do anything extra. Mm. My best legal go-to friend is someone who we just realized that we were doing more and more of the same work. And then she was a solo practitioner like I am. And then we have kids about the same age and we started seeing each other more and more. And she has just turned out to be a huge blessing in my life. Hmm. That was later, much later in my career. So, you know, when I was at the, when I was at the Supreme court, I had the benefit of, you know, there were 10 staff attorneys and I could go to any one of them Hmm. and ask them questions. But, you know, if you're in a small firm, or you're a solo, I and mean, you really have to work to, to find those resources and, and work to have those friendships so that you're not lonely, um, that you don't feel like you're out on an island, especially if you're doing emotional work. I mean, I'm not not to say anything about anyone who's doing, you know, insurance defense or anything like that, but I think that when it involves money, and you're trying to get money out of someone else or for whatever cause of action you have. It's just so much less emotional. Yes. Um, I have some of those cases. I do, you know, 10% of my work is probably civil litigation over breaches of contract or, ins- you know, plaintiff's insurance work. And and, and yes, those, my clients are in positions where they they've gone through some tough times. But it is not emotional in the same way that fighting for your children is emotional or, you know, having a a relationship that you have believed was going to last forever end, mm-hmm. or, you know, realizing that you're going to have to sell the home that you've been living in for 20 years that you, you know, raised your children in and your children don't want you to sell the house, but you have to because financially you just can't afford it anymore. You know, those are just really emotional times for people. Um Or, you know, I do a lot of DSS work. I mean, you're talking about people, you know, most people, and then there are certainly some some evil people in the world. But you know, I have found in the profession that they are few and far between, that most people just fall on hard times or they don't get the mental health treatment that they need. And they find themselves sometimes in the DSS system because mm-hmm. of that. And um, you know, how how horrible to say, I am in such a bad place. I've lost my children. Um, you know, and And for those children to say, oh, my gosh, I'm being put in a a home with, you know, if they're not, if they don't have relatives or third parties that can be them, I'm being put in a home with people I don't even know. Um, I'm being uprooted. You know, it's just just really, really emotional for attorneys. But I say you really have to work to to keep your head on and to you want to you want to keep your compassion. You don't want to be so hard hearted <laughs> that yeah. you lose your compassion. And I think it's I think it would be easy for that to happen. I think it would be easy to say, I cannot care because if I do, I'm gonna be, you know, way too involved, um, in, in these in the, each traumatic scenario. So I think you have to hold on to your compassion while at the same time Um, you know, being a a, a good advocate and, um, and that's just difficult. So that's why you've got to you've got to have friends and resources.
0: That is such a hopeful perspective in a very difficult circumstance. So I appreciate you sharing your heart and how to do that. I think it's going to mean a lot to our law students to kind of hear that and work through it and never forget that whenever you're out at an event or you're in court or you're around other attorneys and lawyers and that type setting legal professionals Don't stop networking and communicating with people because it'll keep you from feeling the way Brett had described, uh, feeling lonely or like you're on an island to yourself, because a lot of the people in the industry have similar experiences or have gone through something similar and they can relate. And they can talk to you and they can make you feel a little bit more peaceful about what you're doing and kind of help you take that next step. So final couple questions for you, Brett. Is there a story or a case that you worked on um, where you've seen lives changed, families made whole, uh, children out of stressful or difficult or unhealthy circumstances Is there one that really kind of like if you had to put a signature, that was my case, that really kind of who I am and what I do, that kind of.
1: I think that family court attorneys do stuff like that every day. And I I think that people don't realize the work they're doing until after the fact. And I'll tell you that the most uplifting thing is that I've had numerous people that I've run into in my life that I've represented and assisted years after I represented them to tell me the impact I had on their lives Mm. and I saw um, a nurse that was a client of mine when my mother-in-law was in the hospital and she said I mean she just went out of her way to say Brett I can't thank you for enough for the work that you did for me I can't even remember her case and I don't say that lightly (laughs) I just you have so much going on all the time and it's just difficult to remember years back to what you're doing. But I will tell you, I had oh, another woman that was a security guard at a bank. The same thing happened. Um, I know she has four kids. I couldn't even remember her name. I know she was my client, but she came up to me and said, Brett, it's so good to see you. Thank you so much for what you did for me. And then I had an opposing party recently reach out to me. And with the consent of my client, she has started a um, a group to help divorced people find resources wow. in Columbia. And she said, will you be one of our professional resources? And wow. she said, I want you to be one of our professional resources because you didn't tear my family apart and you were professional for me. And I was not your client. I think that if you practice with your values, I mean, and I think, you know, like I said, I think family court right now is is set up in a way that I think we're, we're going to see change. I think that Across the nation, um, states are starting to adopt a 50-50 presumption of custody when people get divorced or when they have children together. And I think that if we can take children out of litigation or some, you know, uh, not out of litigation completely, certainly there are times when 50-50 is not in the best interest of children. But if we can take children out of some of the fighting, I think that we will have a less litigious system. But I think if you can focus, even though I have a client my value is that the family is a holistic unit that right. I cannot tear up. That I have the I have the power to. I have the power to really go in as an attorney and tear a family apart. Mm-hmm. And I really encourage my clients every day. I encourage them towards. I'm saying th- not all can do this, and I'm not saying don't be an advocate. And I'm not saying there aren't times on a regular basis where I have to file litigation, but if there's an agreement to be reached, and if the other parent is a decent parent, and if you know you love this person and they have good, there are things that you can tell me that are good about them. don't don't tear up your life. Don't spend all of your money <laughs> trying to tear down what you have at this point built. You're just dividing it, you know, and and the more holistic you can be about that division and the more you can protect your children from that division and from the, the trauma of such a division, then the better off you will be. As hard as it is right now, as much resentment and anger as some people hold, if you can let that go, to to enough that you can preserve some part of your, your value system and your family and your, and and protect your children. And I feel like I'm doing the best work I can do. Wow.
0: And what an awesome responsibility you frame that up that you have the power to go in and really rip a family apart. But so when, when you realize that and you think about that, and this is a little deeper question for you, how you respond as an attorney what emotional response do you have when you realize that and what an awesome responsibility you have and what ability you have? Is it a powerful feeling? Is it a hopeful feeling? Is it a, I have to be courageous feeling? Is it fear? Is it stress? Is it all of those things at once? What is it for you?
1: Well, I think it's all of those things. I think it really depends on my client because okay. I think it's being honest with my client when my client comes in. I mean, you're going to have a client that says, I want to tear my spouse apart. Mm. And sometimes you're going to have to say, I'm not the attorney for you. Yeah. <laughs> um. And, and, you know, and that's, that's a really hard assessment to make. I mean, you really have to think about... Um, who you are and what you want to represent. Um, And then sometimes you're going to do things in the family court because you believe your client and you're going to find out your client was lying about something. And, Uh. and those are hard situations. Mm -hmm. When you find out that you've done something that may have harmed a family because your, your client has lied to you. So it's really based on you have to stick with your values and do the best thing that you think you can do with your client's consent. And that sometimes you have to decide that, you know, some clients are just not right for you. Um, and certainly there are situations, I mean, there's, there are situations where, you know, a child parent has a significant um, addiction or a significant, mental health issue, you know, which are probably related or a, a significant violence issue. And, you know, you have to realize that, and, and my heart is really with children. I mean, when we talk about pro bono, I, I, I love anything. I mean, I, I would do anything for children on a pro bono basis. Hmm. And, you know, my, even if I have a client who's saying, okay, I need to protect this child. I mean, I can't help it. My heart is, okay, we've got go, we got to go now. Yeah. We have to protect your children. Yeah when we have issues like that. And so, I mean, sometimes you're going to have a litigated case. You're going to say, it's not that this this child's parent shouldn't be a parent. It's that this child's parent needs a lot of help before this child's parent can be a parent. And so you're protecting someone even more vulnerable than your client. And so those, you know, when you when you're going back to... Um, what is it like to make those decisions? And it's powerful when you're protecting someone and you know you're protecting someone and you do a good job protecting someone and you end up protecting them. That's very, very powerful. It's very it's such a wonderful feeling that you have you have these tools and you've gone to school so that you can have these tools and you've done something amazing with these tools. Um, but that's not always the outcome, you know, and so and you have to live with judges' decisions. I mean there I have cry, I have come home from cases crying back, based on a judge's decision. I mean, I've had a judge change custody when I thought the judge was completely wrong and everything I put before the judge said this shouldn't happen and a judge has still done it. And I mean, you have to live with that. There's not a lot of you know, until a final order, there's not a lot of appellate rights in family court. I mean, you can't appeal from a temporary order, and a temporary order is probably going to be in place for a year. So, you know, I mean, you're going to have bad days. You're going to have great days. Um, Sometimes you feel like, Oh my gosh, it was worth it to go to law school. And some days, you know, you post on my legal BFF because that's your community <laughs> that you you don't think you can go on another day, yeah. and you have twenty five other attorneys that respond and say, "I love you. You're going to be great. You're fine." And this everybody has this kind of day, <laughs> so, wow. and you get through it and you move on. So
0: it's a very rewarding profession, but it can it can eat you alive if you're not healthy yourself first, so that you can represent your clients. Brett, I want to say thank you for your transparency, for your professional experience, and just sharing that with us today. You've also been a great teacher to me, and I hope to the law students who listen to this podcast about some of the ways to deal with those stressors in this legal profession. So episode three is absolute gold. You can check that off on your list. Thank you, Brett Stevens, for your time. You can visit brettstevenslaw.com to learn more about Brett, her work, and how you can connect with her. If you enjoyed the show, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or listen to our streaming interviews online at charlestonlaw.edu podcast. Have questions, comments, feedback? We love it. Email the show at podcast at charlestonlaw.edu. Brett, thanks so much for your time. Have a great Halloween weekend and don't eat too much chocolate. (laughs)
1: Thank you so much, John. Take care. Bye-bye.